Don't know if you've noticed, uh, it's election season. (laughs) Feels like it's been election season for a year and a half. Oh wait, it has been. The news cycle is consumed with it. Uh, And who would blame them? It it pays the bills. It's attention getting. Uh, It it attracts our energy. Uh, And beyond that, you know, for many people, wrapped up in this election is the well-being and the future of our country and even the world. If you pay taxes or have health insurance or have friends on the margins, you almost can't help but to be invested in the outcomes. When I watched the first presidential debate, you know, I, I, I noticed this interesting thing within me as I watched and tried to weigh the candidates and, and hear whose message was more persuasive. I, I felt this really interesting feeling in my heart. You know what it felt like? It felt like worship. Felt like it felt like allegiance. The stuff and substance of allegiance. Maybe it makes other people feel despair. Uh, or like I've got to find something else to worship or put my hope in. Uh, which raises the question. How do we as people of faith engage politically? Uh, particularly as Christians, as followers of Jesus. What's a, the Christian response? What's a Christian response to this? How do we avoid the idolatry of empire? Putting too much of our hope in the political system in front of us to bring salvation to the world. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for uh, this morning. Part of the challenge is that there's not one Christian response. Christians respond in any number of ways. And these responses are represented in our own community. And so with humility um, and with a uh, uh, with a some, I don't know, some fear and trembling, I examine some of these responses and offer some critique of these responses. One response is to disengage from politics altogether on the grounds that Christianity is about personal faith, right? It's not concerned with what happens, some would say, in the public square. This world is going to be burned up someday anyway. And so Christians should be concerned about their citizenship in heaven Um, This response is less common, kind of the disengagement response, but it's there nonetheless. And this kind of response seems escapist to me. It seems irresponsible, kind of like covering your eyes and just hoping that everything will be okay. And honestly, in some ways, it's it's a luxury of affluence. Not to have enough vested in the public square to really care what goes on means that you must be comfortable enough not to have to worry about it, at least for some people. A second response is to engage the political system and work for change through it. And this is motivated in two two ways. The first motivation is by the same grounds as that first response. The grounds of Christianity is about your private personal feelings and beliefs. And then politics is about 
how we govern ourselves publicly and ne'er between the two shall meet. Right. These are church functions in one way uh, for personal, private religion, politics functions in another way for public social interactions and ordering of society. And so I can be a Christian over here and and uh, go to heaven and believe in God. And on the other hand, I can work in the public square for the best possible world via politics because they're two different spheres with different functions. I had a telling conversation with a good friend this week who I consider pretty grounded in faith. He's been in church and a Christian most of his life. And um, we had I don't I don't very often have these, but we had a very rigorous conversation about politics Particularly because I was interested to know um, why he was supporting a particular controversial candidate. We talked about character required for presidency. We talked about conservative fiscal policy and health care and so on. And what struck me is that not once did the matter of faith or Christianity or his Jesus followingness come up in the conversation. It was as, it was if that was a different realm altogether. We could have this conversation about politics over here and and Jesus and being a Christian was just not really related to that. It was almost as if it was irrelevant to the conversation. This kind of engagement seems inconsistent. Shouldn't the Christian faith have something to say about how we live? In the world today, another motivation for engaging the political system to work for change is a more robust understanding of the kingdom, that God's kingdom is not only about what happens in the future, but it's also about the kind of life we live now. Right. So God cares about the poor and the oppressed and those on the margins. And so Christians should advocate for their protection in the public arena. This motivation is more left-leaning politically, if you will. Um, That former motivation is more right-leaning, if you will. You can see this response in good people like Jim Wallace of Sojourners. And I appreciate this worldly kind of focus on uh, and response to politics with a care for folks on the margins and a a care for just society. Uh, But its limitation is that it seeks change almost solely through the existing political system, according to the rules of that system. And so the possibility is that it can be hijacked and co-opted by that system because it plays according to the rules of that system, its values, its orientation, which is often at odds with the way of Jesus. Because its primary mechanism is coercion, brute force and power. And that's just different than the way of Jesus. That's not to say that all means of working through the political system are bad, are unhelpful. But I just find myself wondering, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, if there's not another way to be faithful politically. If there's not a, a, a deeper Fuller response politically as people of faith.
the Apostle Paul had particular language for the political systems in his day. Uh, It was part of this complex that he called the powers. You kind of have to say it like that. The powers, right? The rulers, the authorities, the principalities, thrones, the powers. When Paul says the powers, he's not just talking about the devil. He is talking about the devil and the powers of evil in the heavenly realms. But he's also talking about political systems. The institution that was the Jewish Jewish religious system, the institution that was the empire of Rome. So let's do a little Bible study, if you will, about the powers. Feel free to follow along in your phone. I don't have this on the screen. You've got a Bible in your seat if you want to follow along. First thing about the powers is that God created the powers. God creates the powers to govern humanity. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So God in Jesus creates the powers. And you notice that they're both invisible and visible. They're both they're thrones and authorities that are behind the scenes that, that energize and motivate and go to work toward their own ends. Okay? Political systems fit into Paul's conception of the powers. Second thing about the powers is that the powers have become become broken. They are fallen just like humanity. Almost in sync with humanity, the powers fall into brokenness and into opposition with the will of God. They harm people. They harm creation. They oppress folks. They stamp out particularly those who are on the margins, who have very little power. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 11. If you want to turn there. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Notice even in this text, Paul is making a distinction between there are visible powers in this dark world, and there are powers and forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are collaborating together. And it's not just about the people in front of us. It's about the systems that these powers represent. The gospel is that in Jesus, God has defeated the powers. God has subjugated the powers beneath the authority of Jesus. And that in Jesus, God will one day redeem the powers. Ephesians chapter 1, 
verse 19. That power, the power that God has for believers, for us, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So in the kingdom of God, Jesus is king. Jesus sits on the throne next to God and beneath his feet are all of the powers and principalities. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, what God does is he lets the powers do their worst to Jesus. The, 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 the most powerful tool the powers have is death. The ability to stamp you out. And what God does is he receives death. He absorbs death in the person of Jesus. And he breaks through death. He comes back to life through death. Showing he, he, uh, he implodes the powers in upon themselves by taking on death in himself. And by doing so, he is elevated above every ruler and authority. Everything is placed at his feet. Now, this is what's interesting. The way that God demonstrates his victory, according to Paul, the way that God embodies the lordship of Jesus, this this political victory over the powers The way that God does that is through the church. Yeah. Ephesians three. That was our text this morning that Daryl read. And I just want to grab a, a couple of verses out there that are very relevant to us. God's intent. This is Ephesians three verses 10 and 11. God's intent was that now through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what Paul is saying. The church is a politic. The church is a social Politic. It is a way of organizing people in a set of practices that live a particular way of life. In fact, for Paul, the church is the primary Christian political response because it is an expression of the kingdom of God where Jesus is Lord. Even over the kingdoms of the world, the, the American constitutional republic included. One of the powers that God in Christ has subjugated beneath him. This is supported by the fact that the word the early Christians use to describe themselves is ecclesia. Ecclesia is a political word. Did you know that? That the Christians had a choice when they were deciding, how do we describe ourselves? They could have chosen a word that would have indicated to others that they were a private religious cult. There were words for that. 
And it makes sense, you know, if I mean, it's in many ways, we are a religious group, as it were. We are we have devotion to God, but that wasn't sufficient. That didn't capture the essence of who the Christians saw themselves to be. And so they chose instead this word ecclesia, which is the word for a political assembly that gathers to hear the announcements of the emperor. It's a political formation. So the early Christians saw themselves as a political entity in that their allegiance was to a particular kingdom. It was to a particular emperor, not Caesar, not Rome, but Jesus and the kingdom of God. It was an alternative politic. For Paul... The primary way the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God is through embodying reconciliation between people, particularly for Paul. The hill he died upon was was Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jewish people being able to be a part of the same community together. That was Paul's political work. What it, and essentially it is. Empires exist to try to, to spread their peace. Pax Romana. Pax Americana. The peace of great nations is what, is what their hallmark is, right? So we've got Pax Kingdom. The peace of the kingdom. Because in the church... What Paul is working for as a community organizer is to show how the kingdom of God reconciles very different people so that they can coexist together. In his day, it was Jew and Gentile, Jewish folk and non-Jewish folk. This was a witness. It embodied peace between diverse peoples that the kingdoms of the world are always seeking after but never attaining because they don't have the spiritual resources for it. Namely, the self-giving love that originates from God Himself. You could say, well, Charles, um, history is kind of against you on this one, right? Because hasn't the church perpetrated evil? Hasn't the church been co-opted by the powers? Hasn't the church been a source of division? It's true. The church has been co-opted by the powers of the world. But that's not what the church is in its essence. Paul was faced with the same kind of dynamics and issues with, with the Corinthian church and the Ephesian church where the way that they were living was so different from who they really were in Christ. And yet Paul's strategy was to say, become who you are, become who you are, become who you are. This is who you are. Live a life worthy of that calling. Become who you are. Paul pressed in. He didn't give up hope just because we've screwed up, just because we've dropped the ball. And we have. And it's by the great mercy of God that we go forward. I'm also not saying disengage completely from the current empire. I'm not saying don't vote, though sometimes I'm tempted to. I think the the deeper idea, the vocation of Christians is not to get caught up in the idolatry of empire. Don't forget your primary allegiance by a long shot. And that is the kingdom of God and the lordship of Jesus. One of my mentors had said, relax 
take a deep breath, affirm that Jesus is Lord and the U.S. government is not. Be the church. Commit to a new faithfulness to living in his kingdom for these times. So how do we do that? How do we be the church? How are we faithful in these times? There are many ways, but two that pop up right to the surface to me come to mind. First, we diligently must practice reconciliation with each other and with our neighbors. That is our primary witness in a partisan, divided, uh, divisive world where we as a community embody peace among each other. And we as a community are a place, a community where diverse people come together and find a common ground of love. A community for young and old, rich and poor, white and brown and black, gay and straight, gendered and transgendered. A community of peace that includes and welcomes all people under God is a powerful political witness in a very polarized culture. And we can grow in this. Storyline can grow in this. It, the work of reconciliation uh, under God and to each other is not easy. And we, we have lots of opportunity for growth. But that's a primary way that we get political is to practice reconciliation because through it we embody the coming kingdom of Jesus in the world. We embody that there's an alternative to the political systems of our day. Second, and maybe this is counterintuitive, we should worship together. Worship is a political act. Worship is political because it reminds us of our primary allegiance and calling to God and to reconciliation in this world. Communion with Jesus at the table reminds us that Jesus is king and has overcome the powers. That Jesus is Lord and not the government superpower that we live in the midst of. It reminds us that God is the one that's guiding the future of our planet and not some political candidate. That's one reason our worship gatherings are so important, because they are political acts. They are not purely religious or spiritual kind of uh, circle the wagon kind of moments, but but a public witness to an alternative kingdom, an alternative politic, an alternative way of life. Jesus is Lord. Amen.